0: To Fantastic History. I'm Sarah. And I'm Clay. We're a husband and wife duo who enjoy telling each other about amazing events, people, and mysteries throughout history. I'm doing another request episode today. Okay. But the person who requested it was you. Me? You, and you uh, probably don't even remember doing it because this was like at least a couple months ago.
1: I certainly don't remember doing it.
0: Okay, well, this was something that was mentioned briefly in an episode of one of our favorite YouTube shows, Tasting History with Max Miller. Oh, yes. Oh, yeah, so big shout out to Max. Holler if you ever want to do a crossover episode because we love you. Um, But yeah, so today I'm going to talk about the trial of Pope Formosus. Now, what would ever make a story... About the head of the Catholic Church, interesting to people like us. Mm -hmm. Well, spoiler alert, it's because he was dead at the time. Really? Do you you remember this from Tasting History at all?
1: You know, I'm drawing a bit of a blank right now.
0: Yeah, it was just something that like Max said in passing. So I'm I'm glad you don't remember it. That's perfect. Okay. But when we watched the episode, you were like, oh, I want to know more about that. And I was like, well, don't look into it because I'm going to do it. (laughs) Okay. So here we go. Allow me to take you to Italy in the ninth century. This was a super chaotic time for Italian politicians and popes. So today we're used to a new pope every like 20 plus years or so because it's a lifetime appointment. I mean, the Benedict whatever number um, was an exception because he kind of stepped down. Yeah. But normally you got to die to get out of that job. Um, but just to really drive it home for you, how nutso so this time was, consider the fact that between the years 896 and 904, there was a new Pope every single year.
1: Every single year. Every single year. That's uh, that's a lot.
0: It's, it's too much. It's way too much. Like they're going to run out of that white smoke, like the braziers or whatever <laughs> they used to make the like... That's just a lot. You're having to get that hat resized all the time. Yeah, like gonna, that's
1: that hat's going to get dirty.
0: R- oh, I don't want to think about it. Especially not like, oh, we're talking about like ninth century. Mm. Mm-hmm. I don't know. So I don't know much about how it's done these days because I literally do not care. Um, but back then... Um, the papacy was just as much a source of intrigue and underhanded maneuvering as we've seen in modern political shows like House of Cards and Veep. Oh. <laughs> like, it's, you know, just nonsense. Yeah. Once you got the big hat, you had to start sweating the fact that all of the also rans were going to try to dis- uh, depose you, arrest you, or have you murdered. Mm. It was a wild time to be Pope. No kidding. And those aren't even going to be your only enemies because the Pope played a huge role in secular politics all across Italy. And there were constant power plays going on in pretty much every region of the country. It was the same kind of stuff you see on like Game of Thrones where this particular family is fighting for supremacy over this region of land and this other family is fighting for this other one. But here's some random Duke or whatever who says he should be in control of both of those areas. So all across Italy, Game of Thrones type shit is happening. Yeah. Like just constantly. It's like we talked about in our Wars of the Roses episode. There's really nothing original in any fantasy series. (laughs) All of it is based on the real life issues folks were dealing with like hundreds of years ago. Okay. So all of that kind of mess was going down when Formosus became Pope in October of 1891 when he was approximately 75 years old. So Formosus had been a mover and a shaker in the Catholic church since 864 when he was appointed Cardinal Bishop of Porto, which is an area at the mouth of the Tiber River, just about smack dab in the middle of the Italian peninsula. Like if you put Italy into Google Maps where it drops the pin, just for the entire country of Italy, Porto is like right there. Okay. So he did that for a couple of years before then-Pope Nicholas I appointed Formosus as a delegate to Bulgaria. During that time, he made friends with Arnulf of Corinthia, who aspired to take the German throne. By that time, there was a different pope, because again, they're like, you know, one after the other, back to back with these popes. (laughs) Um, But at this point, it was John VIII, um, and the new guy did not like the way Formosus was doing things. So John VIII's concern was that Arnulf was going to swoop in and rob Rome and the papacy itself of their independence. And obviously that was not going to fly with him. If you're the Pope, you really don't want somebody being your boss. Yeah. So this next part is a bit of an info dump, but it was important to me that I get all of these incredible names into the episode oh okay Okay, so just i i was reading over this and it just the names brought me so much joy okay so pope john's concern over arnulf which is so hard to say by the way arnulf arnulf hey arnulf Arnulf. yes i keep wanting to say arnold and it's messing me up okay (laughs) so pope john's concern over arnulf stems from the fact that he overthrew his uncle charles the fat To become (laughs) king of East Francia, which um, today is part of Germany. Okay. Um, So that's kind of worth... Consider Arnulf German, even though he's wanting the Italian throne. So after he overthrew Charles the Fat... Uh, He then started coming for West Francia, where he initially supported the claim of Louis the Blind against (laughs) King Odo of France, Uh, but then a few years later decided to back Charles the Simple against Odo (laughs) instead. (laughs) <laughs> uh so in the ensuing chaos he was able to steal some territory from R- west francia for his own kingdom and keep in mind too that all of this chaos also made them susceptible to viking attacks because that's the same period of time we're dealing with here so they're all wow. fighting with each other and because you're distracted the vikings are going to know that's a perfect time to strike yeah not great mm-hmm Back in Italy, uh, when King Louis II died, it was decided that his uncle, Charles the Bald, would be his successor. <laughs> so we have Charles the Fat, Charles the Simple, and Charles the Bald.
1: And Louis, Louis the Simple.
0: Louis the Blind.
1: Oh Louis the Blind.
0: Mm-hmm. Okay. <laughs> so unfortunately, uh, King Louis's other uncle, Louis the German, also had a ton of supporters, as did his wife. Ingelberga, and all of these folks were ready to riot at charles the bald's coronation so then you also have a snake in the grass in the form of formosus who's been indoctrinated into the cult of arnulf and is really high up the ladder in the diocese of rome so this is no good if you're pope john There wasn't really a ton he could do about Louis the German and Engelberga, but he could handle Formosus by stripping him of all his titles and power and excommunicating him.
1: Ah, Uh okay.
0: So for those who might not be familiar with Catholic lingo, um, being excommunicated essentially means that the church has taken away your access to God and you're not allowed to participate in the sacraments anymore. So if you break down the word excommunicated into its composite parts, it's kind of right there. You are being excluded from communion.
1: Yeah, and and in Catholicism, you have to go through the church to communicate with God. So this is really like it's a huge deal. You're saying no, you can't talk to God no more,
0: right? Oh yeah. So deal. that's I mean, if you're into that sort of thing, that's like a nail in the coffin. Like that's terrible. Yeah. Now you can't just excommunicate someone on the grounds that they have a friend you don't like. (laughs) So he had to accuse Formosus of some other stuff too. So he went with um, abandoning his post, lusting after the position of Archbishop of Bulgaria, conspiring against the emperor with Arnulf and a few other more minor things. All that stuff might've also been true, but the main thing was, coincidentally now, you won't believe this, Formosus had also been nominated for the papacy that same year, uh-huh. 872, so he was one of Pope John's main rivals.
1: Oh. oh. The plot thickens.
0: The plot does thicken, yeah. It's, uh, whew. if you thought... You know, Charles the Bald and Charles the Simple were going to be the height of madness in the story. I don't know what to tell you. So Formosus remained excommunicated for six years until another pope, Pope Marinus, took over. And Formosus basically just apologized for all that stuff he may or may not have done and swore to never come back to Rome or act as a priest ever again. Hmm. Don't worry about me. Just let me have my bread and my wine. And we're good, right? All right. So during that six-year period, Formosus and his followers were welcomed into the court of Guy III of Spoleto. There are so many freaking people in the story. It's like, this yes. could easily be a miniseries. It's a lot.
1: <laughs> there are, yeah.
0: Um, I apologize because there are so many names, but a lot of them I had, to, I can't just, I'm supposed to sit on Louis the Blind and Charles the Simple. I'm not doing that. <laughs> okay. So we're in the court now of Guy III of Spoleto, uh, which was very advantageous turn of events for Guy, who obviously, because why not, had aspirations for the crown, crown of West Francia. This shit is so convoluted <laughs> that at certain points of the research, I wanted to crawl under my desk and just cry for a while. But so when he was thwarted in West Francia, Guy decided he wanted to be king of Italy instead and started buddying up with the new new pope, Stephen V, because we have already got another one after Marinus. Of course. Uh, The two of them got so close that Pope Stephen publicly referred to Guy as his only son. It's pretty easy to see then how Guy was able to talk himself into the job of king of Italy and emperor of Rome. Yeah. Huh. All right. So we're caught up now. It's 891 when Stephen died and Formosus was unanimously elected to be the new pope. All right. Which could be cool, but Italy is obviously a huge mess at this point. There are about 20 local kings who all have silly names and who all want to be the final boss. On top of that, he'd grown to seriously distrust Guy III of Spoleto because of how manipulative and power-hungry he was. So Formosus invited his old buddy Arnulf to come out to play. Jeez, really? Oh, yeah. So things get very Wars of the Roses at this point, with Guy and Arnulf facing off multiple times, Guy being killed, and his son Lambert stepping up to fight for his right to party. Supporters of Lambert captured and imprisoned Pope Formosus, but it didn't last long because they were literally in Rome and folks weren't down with the literal Pope being locked up. So his first act of freedom was to crown Arnulf emperor of Rome. Man. Oh, yeah.
1: Long time coming.
0: Mm-hmm. <clears throat> Believe it or not, Formosus only lived a few months longer. He was literally 85 years old and working a super high-stress job, so that's probably all it took, although many people believe he was poisoned, uh-huh. which, you know, honestly, just as likely at this point. Yeah. Um, but here's where it fully goes off the rails. Here's where it falls into my domain. <laughs> Formosus was succeeded by a pope who only lived for 15 days oh. after getting the lend of that cool hat. And then it was Stephen VI's turn to be Pope. Stephen VI was originally a follower of Formosus and a backer of Arnulf, but he changed his tune pretty fast and decided that he was Team Lambert. Now, I don't have a ton of information on what changed his mind, but you really cannot discount the fact that Arnulf was German and Lambert was Italian. For most people, that's all they needed to hear before deciding who to back as King of Italy. Sure. Now, Lambert... I got to say, I admire his dedication to holding a grudge. I really do. <laughs> I, and he's an icon, an icon. He was on a level of revenge seeking that few of us can even fathom. He marched his empiric ass to Rome and demanded that Pope Stephen hold dearly departed Formosus accountable for his crimes and treachery, even though, again, Formosus was really most sincerely dead. Hmm. Stephen VI was game for whatever reason, uh, perhaps just trying to stay on the emperor's good side since Pope was already a dangerous enough job. To quote from National Geographic, this condemnation, insisted Lambert, had to be in public to shame Formosus's followers. It would be conducted under the solemnity of canon and held before the papal Curia and Roman nobility. Most bizarrely of all, it was decided that Formosus himself would attend his own trial.
1: Attend his own trial. Yes. Okay.
0: Almost a year after Formosus died and was buried, Lambert and Pope Stephen had him exhumed and oh. dressed in his papal robes. Oh. Then brought to stand trial in San Giovanni.
1: Yeah, this is uh uh-huh. This is this is intense um an intense grudge.
0: Yeah, it's 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 pretty bad. Um, I gotta say, at this point, Formosus becomes my favorite pope because that <laughs> rules. <laughs> oh my god,
1: that's that's crazy.
0: It, it's genuinely, it's out there. Yeah. Oh yeah. Uh, so Pope Stephen acted as judge with a jury composed of every single bishop, cardinal, and other card-carrying ecclesiastical dignitary who currently held office at the time mandatory attendance at this thing. Oh my gosh. Uh-huh. With a one-year dead corpse sitting there in his <laughs> fancy gowns. <laughs> now, lest you think this wasn't a fair trial just because he couldn't, you know, breathe, um, rest easy knowing that they assigned Formosus his own defense attorney and a deacon to read prepared statements on his behalf. Um, and they even read his charges to him and everything in open court, like you're supposed to do. Uh-huh. The main thing he was being accused of was being the Pope when he wasn't legally allowed to be, because he was serving as a bishop at the time. When this charge was read out in court, I'm so sorry, this is so stupid. <laughs> <laughs> when this charge <laughs> I I'm sorry. When this charge was read out in court, Pope Stephen literally turned to the corpse and asked being Bishop of Porto, why did you, with great ambition, usurp this see of the apostle? In my fan fiction of this scene, Pope Stephen asks this, and Formosus's jaw just falls off and skitters <laughs> across the floor like he's so scandalized that anyone would ask him such a thing. Like I can see it so clearly, and it it's marvelous.
1: It is. It is the uh, the, the comedy cutaway. <laughs> Cut to the dead corpse. A piece of it falls off. <laughs>
0: <laughs> naturally Formosus was found guilty
1: oh no I
0: know they ripped his papal garments off of him and dressed him in pauper's clothes then chopped off the fingers that he used for swearing and buried him in an unmarked grave
1: well that'll show him
0: well well for whatever reason, that was not enough for Pope Stephen, who returned to the grave a few days later, dug Formosus up again, and threw his body into the Tiber River.
1: Oh my gosh.
0: Mm-hmm. As buckwild bananas as things had been throughout Italy for quite some time, there was a more or less unanimous thought that Pope Stephen had taken it too far. Uh-huh. Uh huh. He was arrested, and within a couple of months of Formosus's trial, Stephen was strangled to death in prison dang not long after pope john the ninth took over exonerated formosus and banned the catholic church from putting any more skeletons on trial
1: probably a good idea although that's that's a a hilarious little part of the rule book i'm sure
0: it's yeah but it is they had to put it down and and make (laughs) it an official law we cannot put any more cadavers up here in their fancy clothes (laughs) like that's just we gotta stop alive people only (laughs) And that, dear friends, is quite possibly the weirdest story from a religious sect that has a ton of wild and bizarre stories. Yeah. Um, so another shout out to Max Miller and Tasting History for bringing that story to my attention. <laughs> uh, every time you think you've got a handle on how cuckoo nuts things were in the Middle Ages, you come across something like this.
1: Yeah. They are
0: forever topping themselves.
1: Yeah, it's hard to believe that this was taken seriously.
0: Oh, but it was very serious yeah like mandatory attendance if you are part of the diocese at all you had to be there and and watch
1: wow Uh
0: (laughs) (laughs) well thanks for checking us out and giving us a little bit of your time today Hopefully you enjoyed that story, question mark. Um, And if you did, please take a second to rate, review, and subscribe on whatever podcast platform you use. We still have some stickers up on Etsy, and there will be a link to those in the show notes. Uh, you can check us out on Instagram and Twitter. We are fantastic H Pod on both. And yes, I do have some artistic renderings of Formosus on trial that you oh can see God. there. They are amazing. <laughs> uh, <laughs> feel free to shout us uh, shout to us over on our email account. We're fantastichistorypod at gmail Until next time, Ave Satana.